Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. And this week's words are drug cost, aspirin, soda, apple wine. Hello. Okay, I think we should do a fast episode this time too, because I decided in my head that it's more interesting to you. Okay. <laughs> I also have no data to back this up. Like so many of the studies that we cover, sick burn. More uh, research is required. Please watch your diet and exercise each week. Thank you. And listen to this podcast. It will (laughs) possibly cure cancer or cause it. (laughs) We're not sure, but we need you to listen so we can have a randomized, uncontrolled study. (laughs) (laughs) That no one's looking at. Indeed. So what's our first story? So our first story comes from CNN, and it's one-third of uninsured can't afford to take drugs as prescribed, says government report. So the CDC... um, I was going to make the joke that uh, it's like 100% of the people who are... It's like one-third of uninsured people can't afford to take medication as prescribed, and 100% of insured people can't go on. Yeah. So um, the CDC looked at uh, people doing their who have prescriptions. Nearly 60% of adults um, between the ages of 18 and 64, so not looking at um, the elderly, uh, have been prescribed drugs in the last 12 months. Um, and so it's looking at how people who how people try to lower the cost of uh, medication. Um, And so that looks at uh, asking their doctors for cheaper medicine, not taking medicine as prescribed or using alternative therapy. So if you have private insurance, um, only 8.4% were not taking them as prescribed, whereas 12.5% of Medicare um, were using that. Uh, Medicaid, Um, Medicaid. Yeah, Medicaid, sorry. Um, But one in five people... uh, requested the physicians for a less expensive um, option and um, that went up to 40% if you were uninsured. That makes sense. Um, and then overall, f- 5% of people used alternative therapies and 14% of those lacked insurance. Um, and of course, because in all things, women are more likely than men to try to reduce drug costs um and fun fact nearly 80 percent of americans feel that the cost of prescriptions is unreasonable according to a kaiser family foundation poll yeah well i think that's i think that's a fair that's a fair opinion because in so many cases the pharmaceutical companies when they're about to lose like exclusive production of a medication find a way to make it different or slightly like different enough that they can like repatent it i don't know if it's technically mm-hmm. patenting but so they, they let's call it patenting so they can repatent it and then they get this all over again you know they get their exclusivity or whatever um mm-hmm. so they're, they they purposefully make it so that the drugs will cost more so the fact that most people think drugs cost too much well that's because we created a for-profit healthcare model like yes the more pills you buy the more money they make the more expensive the pill is the more money they make like I think we're starting to see, though, with like things like insulin, there's been a big backlash. Or a couple years ago, um, EpiPen prices went way up and mm-hmm. a bunch of parents complained and they were like, hey, listen, like my kid is going to have an anaphylactic reaction to some allergen and we have to get these, right? It's not like, oh, maybe we'll skip the EpiPen this year. It's like, no. And they, and they you know... They only they they also only test the medications for a certain amount of time, usually a year. So a ton of medications could likely be used much longer, but like it's in no one's corporate interest to do that testing. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm surprised that the twenty percent of Americans feel the cost of prescription drugs is reasonable. I would suspect that that's the twenty percent of Americans who aren't taking. It. Didn't realize I was angry about big pharma, but I guess today is the day. <laughs> 
So, yeah. So, I feel like the CDC is just reporting on something that, like, anecdotally, I would have thought was true. But it's good to see that they're looking at it and um, putting more scrutiny about it. Yeah. So, good on, like, the CDC. I think that's great. Yeah. And I think, like, I think we'll see a little more of this. I think people have start- started with high deductible plans to notice the cost of medications more as well. And mm-hmm. pharmacies are getting more interested and more able to answer these cost questions. But the whole thing, the whole thing is still ridiculous. Like, the whole system is still ridiculous. Yes. Very expensive. Yeah. I, um, I needed an inhaler last year for a, a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember... I went to the pharmacy and they were like, yeah, it's, it was over $200. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And I was like, how about like a generic or like, could I call my doctor and get something different? And the guy said, oh no, 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 this is, this is the cheap one. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, the other ones, the other ones are way more. And I was just like, Jesus, like, and there are people, there are people who have to take that every month, right? I was lucky that I just, it was a one Mm -hmm. and done. So, I mean, yeah, we don't even know. I mean, some people have different health insurance that would make it more affordable, but like, you know, my insurance isn't crazy. I think my deductible is like 2,700 or something, but like, yeah, that just means you get sick, you go to the doctor, you get one prescription, $600. Just like, it's all. Yeah. But Laura, what's one medication we don't need? I'm looking ahead. I'm looking ahead. You can't surprise me this week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our next article comes from the New York Times and it's daily low dose aspirin no longer recommended by doctors if you're healthy. So that's a big if. So previously, uh, baby aspirin was recommended for older adults who um, did not have a history of cardiovascular disease. Um, But this is kind of an update from uh, the American Heart Association that they released new guidelines based on an article that was published last year from the New England uh, Journal of Medicine showing that there was no significant benefit from taking the aspirin and there could be a risk um, of uh, increased bleeding because of it. So if you do not have a history of cardiovascular, it is no longer um, uh, recommended. You does um, recommended. So that is a new update based on research. Okay, fun fact that I can't even get to this story because New York Times only lets you read 10 articles per month and I guess I already read my 10 articles. And like I I used to have a subscription through work, but then they stopped letting me have it for some reason. Although one one of the accountants oh, at, at my company got one and I was like, how come she but not me? But then I didn't ask that question because I was trying to be like a good seed. And anyway, to make a long story short, I'm going to look this up on my phone <laughs> to see. Maybe I maybe I didn't maybe I didn't get to enough articles. Anyway, I read I read this story on the New York Times, I'm pretty sure, earlier this week. So this is like from a couple days ago, right? This is from, oh, it's from yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I think this should Why surprise no one. Why are you health no news yesterday, Robin? Because <laughs> I, <'cause> I, <laughs> I read health news every day. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> I go to Google News. I look at the stuff at the top. I feel dismayed about all of that. And then I scroll, 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 all the way through like the sports and all the stupid stuff. And then, and then I, I look at the science section to see if like a meteor is going to strike the earth because that's where that would be. And then I look at the health section to see if we cured HIV AIDS yet because I feel like that's coming. And, you know, and like that's a thing. So, and actually, actually, this is totally off topic, but we did. There was a person who was cured. Um, was that a story we covered here? I don't think so. It was like a guy who was cured mm-hmm. through an organ transplant, but it was accidental and doctors have said like, that's not they're not going to be able to be able not to replicate thing. that even if someone else needed a transplant like it's not always going to work for some reason in his case it just happened to work but so 
Boom. Mm. We already did it. We just can't replicate it. That's fun, right? Everyone's like, we got to cure cancer. What if we were like, oh, we cured it, but only in this guy, just this guy. Yep. Just him. Just this once. All the rest of y'all, it's, it's too bad. So, I mean, I think this makes sense because I wonder if the initial push to, for, to have people take aspirin was like promoted by Big Pharma, who I think we've established I'm angry with today. But they're saying if you have a, if you have a history, it might still be recommended, blah, blah, blah. Laura, have you ever heard that thing where they say that aspirin, if they made, if aspirin was like created today, it would not get FDA approved? No, that's a thing. Well, it wouldn't pass. Yeah. I think, I mean, people have said that, that like, that, like we we only accept it because we've been using it for so long but like that it it's gotten harder to get things approved and so mm, mm-hmm. we're oh, more rigorous now than we were yeah oh my god i just found this article i want to read but obviously i can't read it right now because we're podcasting but there the atlantic did an article called no refills and it's from 2010 but i bet it's still good because the Atlantic 2010 was like, that was back, I feel like, when it was doing more of the type of writing that I want. And now they're doing more more politics and stuff and more shorter mm, pieces. Yeah. And back then they were doing a little more healthcare and stuff. So, And it's Megan McArdle, who's a great writer, and she's still, she's still with them, I think. So no refills. The Atlantic. Read that. And I can't, I cannot quickly <laughs> Google this. I like tried. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's good that the associations are updating their recommendation based on more update date research Mm -hmm. i think that's good (sighs) yeah i feel like i tend to steer away from medications anyway you know like if it if it's like a you could or you couldn't i'm usually like let's not unless i think i'm concretely possibly dying and then i'm like maybe or like you know like the like the inhaler situation Mm -hmm. i was like i think there might concretely be something where my lungs are like never going to recover from this case of bronchitis that i had then i got serious but other than that okay tangent number two laura do you know how people have words that they say such as um or uh or whatever uh no (laughs) (laughs) well yours is as the person who edits this podcast yours is um but do you know what mine is and it's uneditable (laughs) what you don't know you're sitting here listening to me maybe you just hear me talk so much you don't hear it (laughs) it's like what's yours it's like Uh, and the problem is mm. that so i've been editing some podcasts for work the last couple months too. And what I've realized is mm-hmm. certain people's pattern is easier to edit than others. So the easiest one to edit is people that start with the um. So they say like, um, and then they pause and then they start talking because it's not like connected to another sound. And you can even see the shape and you can just edit all of those out. And the hardest ones are when people put little like filler sounds or words in between words, which is exactly what I do. Yeah. So what I do You're for the jam- worst problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I was doing so well because I I haven't been saying um uh and all of that, but I say like so much. And as soon as I started hearing it, <laughs> it was it's terrible. It's terrible. <sighs> all right. What's our next story? I'm gonna try not to like all over it. Um <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm gonna edit that out. So <laughs> well then the people are going to be confused about what we're just referring to podcast listeners also i feel like it looks laura just different. said um <laughs> it depends on what i'm editing sometimes i get tired and i don't have the energy to take them all out and sometimes i'm like i will make you sound perfect <laughs> thanks robin mm, welcome our next story comes from court which is it's owned by the atlantic do you know that yay no, I did not. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm double checking. But it's new. <laughs> yeah. It's new science. Link soda with heart problems and two types of cancer. So from Harvard University, they published in the American uh, Heart Association Journal Circulation. Soda. They did research on soda. <laughs> soda. And they, 
they determined that it's linked to um, heart disease, breast cancer, and colon cancer. Um, the This is like a really big study. They followed 37 plus thousand men and 80,000 plus women from 1986 to 2014. Uh, it's hard to put causation or links with self-reporting which is what they acknowledge in this story but they uh because they have such a large population uh that they pulled from they think that their foundings are noteworthy so this kind of goes into the conversation about drinks and the soda tax and those kinds of things of trying to encourage public health to avoid soda and pop (laughs) thank you for using the proper label (laughs) Finally. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever consumed a soda, but I've had some pop. I've had some pop as a kid. <laughs> had a pop uh, Had a pop the other day. It was St. Patrick's Day. And one of my cocktails what, what? has pop in it. Yeah. Don't know about soda, but I'm sorry. I just can't stop soda. Okay. <laughs> this is like another one of those. All right. We need to just like epidemiology is just frustrating to me because all the studies are observational and then I'm supposed to care because they did it for like 50 years. I don't know who, like, what do they pass it along from like research group to research group? Like, I, I don't even understand. It's like incredibly complex. Seemingly, we need to get an epidemiologist on here. My friend Kristen, if you're listening, send us a, send us a voice recording and explain to us why and how we should evaluate this research i feel like i don't i feel like i'm not doing as well as i could on this on this type of research like evaluation wise but um <laughs> here's here's a great quote from one of the researchers quote this is not random there's a whole lot of consistency across these findings okay we have this rule <laughs> i run a magazine like in my life and we have this rule that the quotes cannot be and project descriptions cannot be things that could be said about like any project. And I feel like this is breaking my rules. Like this could be said about yeah. any study that, that determines anything. There's a whole lot of consistent. This is not random. Like, yeah, thank you for defining research, sir. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is this just like another one of those pieces where it's like eat good, eat well, eat real good, eat well and exercise? Yeah, but. People who ha- drink more than two servings a day have a 31% higher risk of death from bad heart health. Ooh, that's pretty high. Right. So I agree with what you're saying, but it's pretty freaking high. So yeah, that's pretty it's high. Hard to- you know what a trend this is also playing into is the um, the all the discussions around sugar, inflammation, and cardiovascular health. Like there's been some thoughts that high cholesterol is not actually an indicator of heart problems in the future and that it might not really even be that much of a problem, but we're finding we, they are finding more and more that sugar is having all these issues. And especially now that the sugar lobby has less influence, like, right, because the sugar lobby back when we had the food pyramid and really high, high carb diets, like the sugar lobby was all over that. And they have less influence right now. And now we're starting to see all this stuff about about sugar, which I really think is when we study uh, pop consumption, <laughs> Thank you. Pop consumption. That's what we're talking about is sugar consumption. Because we know that caffeine, that caffeine isn't necessarily bad for you. And what's the other ingredient? It's just a bunch of preservatives and like water. So it could be the preservatives, but I'm saying this is basically a sugar study. So pop is bad. Robin has declared it, so. <laughs> pop is, I mean, pop is delicious, but I mean, just, there's almost no benefit Not twice a day. To it. No. Not, not twice, twice a day. day. Delicious. Not twice a day. Yeah. All right. Do you do you want some cocktail recipes though that use pop that are super delicious? I got two that are really simple, really delicious. You ready for this? Yes. Okay. Yes. First one yes. is ginger beer and Tullamore Dew whiskey with a little bit of a lemon slice. Amazing, refreshing, Ooh. delicious. And the second one 
is um, a drink we used to drink when I was living in Mexico, and it's tequila and the soda squirt, which is grape <laughs> grapefruit flavored. And for some reason, that with like a fresh orange squeezed in, like just a slice of an orange squeezed into it, is so delicious. It's like these are drinks that like no one can not like. And if by some chance you manage to not like those two, there's this drink called a Fuzzy Up, which is peach schnapps and 7-Up. It's an amazing combination. It's sweet, but like people who don't like alcohol, I have like 100% success rate of getting people to like that. Here I feel I should mention that I don't really drink, but (laughs) (laughs) I used to drink a little more. I never had a drinking problem, just like stopped for like lifestyle reasons, but I can make a mean cocktail. Anyway, the point here, the point here I'm trying to make is pop has its place, soda, for, you know, the 98% of you out there who use the common term. And and, uh, you don't have to like avoid (laughs) all of it, just once in a while, once in a while. Okay. Yeah. What is our last story what is it what do you so got our last story comes from the verge and it's apple and stanford's apple watch study identified irregular heartbeats in over 2,000 patients so apple and stanford university school of medicine um did a apple heart study so i assume it was sponsored by apple and they had over 499 um, 19,000 participants um, <laughs> from all 50 states over eight months. They tracked them and they had 0.5% of all participants over 2000s who got a notification alerting them that they had heart rate irregularities during the curse of the course of the study. So it's not saying that it's a replacement for um, diagnoses, but it can help alert people to possible issues for further follow up. So I really appreciate that you just use the right plural for diagnosis. <laughs> Good work. Uh, the <laughs> so it's looking at wearable tech and how it can help um, detect those things, but not necessarily be used as a diagnosis tool. So there's some flexibility in it. And it's probably a, a sponsored study um and so they only looked at apple products that way i know you have a smartwatch. do you do you have an apple watch oh no i you have do i don't no i have a garmin you had a you have a smart watch though yes yes if not apple please that can check your heart your heartbeat my heart yes. rate right now is 65 and my resting oh oop, now it's 61 and my resting heart rate is 65 which is about 9 to 11 beats per minute faster than usual because i raced and then had a hard workout yesterday raced two days ago so yes you could say that also the... you're just super excited to podcast <laughs> yeah also yes i mean every day that we podcast i wake up and my heart's just beating out of my chest okay so yes the study was a collaboration so there's that i think the most interesting link out of this article to another article is one talking about there's a sentence that says health experts are concerned that giving consumers more data to pour over isn't necessarily a good thing and could be a strain on healthcare systems. Meaning people like me get a pseudo medical device and then we freak out about every little thing and then we go to the doctor a lot. This is a concern and I think this is an antiquated concern. I think it's similar to privacy concerns in social media where people have posited now that the next generation of kids is going to have their entire life online and most of it will be public and that employers will be more forgiving in future generations and that I think similarly people are going to have a ton of information about their health for future generations and I think that will mean that they learn to sift through it or medical systems will become more efficient at helping people filter through 
what may be extraneous concerns. But this idea that like, if we give more people more information, it's bad. Like that really hits, that really like hits my buttons because that's so stupid. And there's all this stuff about um, tangent number three, medical device manufacturers right now are fighting with healthcare consumers. And there've been TED talks about this for for data, what they're calling it data privacy, but basically they're trying to not give people access to their own data. So people have a device implanted inside of them and the company wants to Mm -hmm. only send the data to a doctor for reasons that we can all imagine. But people are saying like, no, like I paid for the procedure. I paid for the device. This is my body. Like you, you will give me the data if I want it. And, and there, I think most people like eventually will get it, but the companies have really dug their heels in, in some cases. So this is like a very interesting thing in like the health news world and something I've been kind of like watching, but. I have a feeling that like in 20 years, it's going to be hilarious that we're like, it's like they used to be worried that giving people more data was bad because I think, you know, at some point you're not going to get a colonoscopy. You're going to swallow a pill like they already have that, you know, and you're going to be able to like Mm -hmm. breathe into something or your toothbrush will tell you if you have um, tooth decay and and, like all this stuff. And so I think it's like we need the devices to get better. We don't need less data. I'm also like a data nerd and I always want more data. Grain of salt. Absolutely. What do you think about the but data thing? Like, very do you, interesting. What do you think? Um, I think we, I think we have sold our soul to the tech devil, and <laughs> they will use it however they want. And the only way to make that change is with a legislative change. I don't think they will. Um, oh, you're talking give about it back willingly to us? Yeah, you're talking about like Facebook and data privacy and all that. No, I mean like any of our data, we've 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 agreed to to all things. Like you put yeah. it in. I'm sure in one of the waivers that you was that you don't have access to that. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, we just click. Yes. Yes. We accept all terms and conditions and it's silly. So, so true. I mean, I think we should have access to it, but I don't I don't I think that's something that um, politicians will have to demand back from tech companies and device making. Yeah. Kind of like that European um, data privacy resolution that recently went through that what is it? GD. Oh, my God. I'm really supposed to. Laura, what is it? about to get fired go go uh, data privacy i i, I don't i don't gd <laughs> gdpr general data protection regulation which is an eu law on mm. data protection and privacy but yeah i i think those kinds of things are what we're going to need to like strong arm companies back into commoditizing us less but so many consumers have not yet figured out that they have become the product you know if you're getting a free subscription to something that it's not free, you know, and so someone, someone, right. somewhere is profiting off of this arrangement somehow. And, there, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that other than people having no idea that it's happened. So, and sometimes it goes way too far, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so yeah. So what is your current medical fascination? Um, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you this. My, my, my little fingertips got a little frost nip on a swim that I did like a month ago. And they're coming back. Like it's if you were in my body, you'd be like, "Why is this even a problem?" But it's me, and I really notice when there's a change. And so I've taken a little break. And so I've thought about um, nerve regeneration and healing, and you know the kind of curiosity of like nerves take forever to grow. And um, so that as a part of cold swimming has been probably been a fascination. I haven't really done that much looking into it though. Because I think, um, although I'm someone who loves data, sometimes when it's my own health, it's better if I just have a little bite-sized piece of information. Now and again, it's like a box of chocolates. Best to just have a couple here and there than like sit down and eat the whole box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I've been trying a glutamine supplement thing that's supposed to help. Um, And it's definitely, it's definitely improving. And it's, I would say it's like 
I keep saying it's like 95% better, but yeah, right now it's it's pretty good. Plus temperatures are coming up. So um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's prompted some questions on my social media and, you know, like folks being interested with like, why why would you do this to begin with? And, and those types of things. And so some really, I mean, I wish they were more of conversations and not just people um, throwing out judgment, but like, you know, I think it's, it hopefully at least raises questions for people about like, like why, why, why do any of us do what any of us do, right? Like that's a really, that's a really good question to be asking yourself and like it's a it's a decent question to be asking other people nice to ask it in like a neutral way but i get it understand um but yeah i've noticed that sometimes when people do extreme things that um the response to that can be anger have you ever noticed that yeah i I feel (coughs) sorry um just a little disney little disney coming out no it's not disney um (laughs) yeah i i think that people can react with um fear and so that fear comes out as anger sometimes. Well, and I think there's a lot of things that seem completely undoable. And then when you zoom in and you talk to people about the practicalities of it, what I have found is that usually the stuff that you're worried about is totally a non-issue. And there's little things that you need to be really careful with that you haven't thought of. But um, I thought about this in relation to Iron Man, because that's my dream is to do one of those. And so, you know, initially it just seemed like that's insane. How can anyone do... 12, 15, 17 hours of cardio, like that's just ridiculous. And the things you worry about is like, I'm just going to fall over and die. Well, like, no, actually, that's not like really probably the concern. But you like, you know, what is a concern is like GI distress. Because, like, you might still finish your race, but it's really not, not as much fun if you have diarrhea for, like, the last three hours, right? And and so things like, like dehydration yes. or actually overhydration can be a, a big problem because people get really worried about dehydration. They drink too much. Um, did you know that more marathon runners in the last – I forget I forget the time period. There was some, some little data bite that came out about more people have died in marathon running due to – overhydration than dehydration. Oh, wow. Because people got so worried about dehydration that they started drinking too much water. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. People died. But it's just, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's the irony. Uh, Sometimes I really appreciate a good bit of something ironic about someone dying in a hot race from drinking, right? So it's, it's your electrolyte balance. So what is your, what is your current health or non, okay. I'm totally distracted by the fact that right now the time, okay. I can't even say that. I'm going to have to edit this out. Okay. The time on the clock is my birthday. Just, <laughs> just saying. Okay. What is your, what is your current events health related thing that you've been thinking about? Um, are you familiar with Melania Trump's be best campaign? No. <laughs> so her main prong of like the thing that she's doing, like oh, Michelle Obama's was like 60, 60, play 60 or whatever, like get out and move. Yeah. Um, for kids. And, um, I think Barb, uh, Laura Bush had like a a literacy campaign. So typically uh, the first lady takes on like a public health issue um, and like works on that unpaid because the first lady is an unpaid position. Right. Um, Which if you want to think about it, it's kind of bullshit. Kind of bullshit. It's absolutely, it's absolutely fucking bullshit. So uh, there's, (laughs) there's that. But so her, her campaign is called Be Best and it's looking at reducing online bullying as its main prong right mm. which which can be ironic for some people uh to look at but another prong that she has introduced oh. more recently that i've noticed that is, is ironic. uh she's look <laughs> she is looking at trying to address uh children born uh on opioids 
opioids yeah um being addicted at, at birth and trying to help people uh overcome that addiction and helping families stand by their family members and friends who are f- battling that disease and helping mm. be supportive in their time of need and different things like that so i i thought that was something that hadn't gotten a lot of news but i had heard about she did a uh town hall in las vegas or something i think Hmm. um this past week talking talking about that and i just thought that was an interesting it's still part of her be best campaign so it's helping us all be our very best selves and so she's looking at uh, different ways to do that so i'm kind of annoyed by the name of it and raising awareness shouldn't it be be the best nope it's called be best robin don't sounds kind of don't worry about it (laughs) The New Yorker did an article. They titled it The Childlike Strangeness of Melania's Be Best Pain. Oh, no. They also used they also used a pair of quotation marks in a headline, which is grammatically correct in, as far as I know, every single style. Wow. Laura, I just found a grammar error in The New Yorker. Do you want to run outside and check if there's a rip in the fabric of the universe? <laughs> it should be. If it's a title of something, if it's in quotes in a headline, it should be single quotation marks, which is like really a nitpicky, stupid rule. And I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. And we haven't gotten around it yet. But like maybe, you know, maybe the New Yorker has their own style guide and and it's in there to do it this way. But let's just savor the delicious awesomeness of me potentially finding a grammar (laughs) error in the New Yorker. I thought this day would never come. (laughs) You're such a, you're such a fucking nerd. (laughs) To your yes, and to your point about the opioid thing, it is kind of interesting to think about how opioids are impacting families because you could adopt a kid who was born addicted to drugs, and so and meaning like in your and your kid has never touched the drug, well, like directly, and you've never touched the drug, but you're still like profoundly impacted by it. So it is interesting, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to our society when we have a bunch of people. Who are the children, you know, of the current rash of people with drug addiction? Who can? can does, I think that's does, enough. That, no, wait, hang on. Does be best sound normal to you? Like, do you hear that and think like that's catchy and like rememberable, or does it, like is it just me that it sounds weird, or like do you think it sounds weird? I mean, play sixty is weird too. So yeah, I just feel like whoever is in charge of PR at the White House is limited to two words. <laughs> 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 all that's that's their brand that's their brand two word two word yeah it's gotta, gotta be two words be so, best. somebody's made that rule so <laughs> all right well i think you were about to say it but now i'm saying it that's enough bad patienting for us for one week if you want to follow us we're on twitter at the bad patient you can send us topic ideas at hello at the bad you can rate share and subscribe to the podcast on literally anything that you use to get podcasts including stitcher and apple Podcasts. and we want to say a special thank you to evan schaefer thanks evan i'm tired of thinking thanks evan for the theme song you can listen to his music at soundcloud.com slash evan schaefer until next time we are bad patient <laughs>